uh, you know, feeling like that slow motion yeah. going on, like getting a little bit more control of that. Um, I didn't, I, I was spitting blood. I had a hole in my mouth. The shrapnel had gone through and taken out one of my teeth. And I didn't realize that also a piece of shrapnel went through my neck and it, um, it, uh, went through my carotid artery into my trachea and my esophagus. And, um, you know, I was able to get some pictures of it um, a few years later. And like, I could see that, I think it was cauterized because it was so, oh, yeah. so close that I didn't bleed out. Welcome to the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Yuma Barnett. And today my guest is Kanan American. Uh, a fellow New Mexico boy, just like myself. You don't see a lot of us in the in the 75th in the Army. We, it's rare that I run into somebody else from New Mexico. So that's something that builds on the bond that Kanan and I have had as we're from the same place. So when we're talking about the barrios of Albuquerque, we all know <laughs> where we're talking about. Um, Kanan has a great story. I've known Kanan for years in and around the 75th. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to serve together as uh, first sergeants in 3rd Ranger Battalion. Uh, we had a great crew of first sergeants down there. We were a really tight-knit group, and I got to know him a little bit better. I got to know his story a little bit more, and uh, he's gracious enough to come on here and share a little bit about it because it's a it's a crazy story, right? Yeah. It's got a lot of it's got a lot to it. Uh, I'll hand it over to Kanan to introduce himself, and we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so yeah, uh, Kanan American, um, been in the army uh, for about 22 years. Um, Grew up in, in Albuquerque, um, and I joined the Army in uh, 1999. Uh, that in itself is uh, interesting and unique, and I'm kind of glad I did it. And there's a lot of things that I, uh, I've i learned in the military that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. <laughs> and yeah. It might be the structure of it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so, and then um, my me and my wife, we got married in 2003. Um, we have two kids now, and... Now here I am, 20, uh, 22 plus years, I guess, uh, later, or almost 22 years. Yeah, and then when, when Kanan says that, he makes that sound pretty easy, like it was a seamless 22 years, which, <laughs> which was, which uh, I assure you was not, and we'll get into that a, a little bit more. So when we were talking a little bit off camera, you said, I didn't know before, but your dad was in, in the Army, too. Yeah. What, what, what did he do in service? Uh, he was, uh, he, he, um, he was kind of, kind of a troublemaker as a kid, and so my grandpa... Um, I think brought him back from one of the times he had ran away and said, you're either going to go join the army or you're going to get drafted or you're <laughs> going to go to jail or one of those, one of those three things. And so, uh, my dad enlisted, um, at the age of, uh, 17 or 18. And, um, he went and was in Vietnam, um, with 101st infantryman. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. He was a mortarman. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So, it's, uh, did you talk much about his service and his time in Vietnam before you came in or before you thought about joining the Army or as a kid? Uh, not very much. Uh, we, we talked um, a little bit about um, – he, he, he definitely had some problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was greatly affected from Agent Orange, uh, and he had a lot of things that happened to him in the war or in Vietnam, and then that affected him when he got out that was not a – one of his favorite topics yeah yeah that's what i mean there up until recently and i think still there the, the stigma with mental health and getting help was, was oh, there man. and the self-medicating and all that stuff so hopefully through oh, some yeah. of this 
we can not only help our generation, but maybe even yeah. the previous generation then that didn't get the help when they needed it. So join the army, mm-hmm. join the Ranger Regiment. Uh, came there, did you know what you're getting into? Did you have a option 40 contract when you went to the recruiter? Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. Um, one of my, one of my close friends, uh, was, um, was serving in the Ranger regiment and he told me about it. I mean, he'd come home on leave and walk us through, uh, like airborne timelines and stuff like this, like things that are just, you know, super rare to yeah. a civilian. So we're like sitting on a sidewalk and he's like giving us the, uh, countdown to getting a, standing up and hooking up and like jumping out of the door and, you know, this 18 year old kid, I'm like, this is super fun. And, uh, and so when I went to the recruiter, I was like, well, I just want to do what, what Rangers do. And so he didn't have to recruit much. Yeah. And it was, um, he's like, well, just take the ASVAB test. And if you pass the score and you're good enough, then you'll be fine. And so I ended up working out. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, me, I, you know, you and I were both pre 9-11 yeah. guys, which is, you know, I'm nine months pre 9-11. You're, you know, over a year pre 9-11 we're close to the anniversary, the 20 year anniversary yeah. of 9-11. What, what did 9-11, how did that impact you? Were you in 375 at mm-hmm. the time that happened? What was that like for you? Um, wow. That was, that was intense for me. You know, I was, a I was a private, um, still kind of doing the private activities pre, pre 9-11. And so, uh, I think I had just come off staff duty, oh, really? um, the night before, not even the night before the, the morning of, and I was walking back to my room, and someone was running up to the up to the uh, Bico barracks or the, uh, sorry, the Bico offices. And he said, "Hey, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center." And I was like, "I like I just didn't believe him. I was like, there's no way." And so I went. I didn't have a TV, um, so I went to my uh, one of my Ranger buddies' rooms and on the news, and I watched the second plane fly into the World Trade Center, and I was just like dumbfounded. And I'm like no idea what that meant it was super interesting i mean it was just yeah yeah i think it's hard to explain what like it was so bizarre and i mean for me it was just i was in the barracks as well and i was watching it happen i was like this is kind of why i joined the army however this is terrible right like the the price of of this and then i mean the last 20 years have been you know crazy since since 9 11. um let's get uh, your deployments, the first thing. So uh, there's no other way to say this, right? Yeah. Can Canaan was uh, dead basically from a IED blast overseas. Yeah, it was um, it was in Iraq in 2003. Yeah, and basically was now he's now he's not dead obviously because he set him on the podcast. So let's talk about that that story a little bit and what led up to it and that that deployment. Yeah. So uh, um, so in. in I'll just start from the date. So on uh, June 26, 2003, um, we had been in country for five days. And for me, that was my fourth deployment. Um, you know, I'd been in uh, the invasion of Afghanistan. Um, then we went back to Afghanistan, I think, six months after that. And then and then we invaded Iraq. And we had come back from uh from the uh, Iraq invasion, and then we got surged back. And so it had been maybe six weeks since uh, we'd returned from our initial deployment, and then we were back overseas. And um, and so it was our first mission. There was, like, a family that um, had been under question to find out where, uh, where Saddam Hussein was located. We hadn't found him at that point. 
and um, you know they were they didn't know so uh, my squad pretty much got assigned to take them out to the green zone and we were in um, Baghdad International Airport and so it's maybe two miles maybe two or three miles yeah. to the green zone were you a team leader or squad leader at the time or <laughs> I was uh, I was a uh, I was I was a medic oh okay yeah, yeah. so it was a unique period in the Ranger Regiment where we would have uh, infantry medics who'd gone to EMT um, do medical stuff, and yeah. so I would, I worked in the aid cage. I was a, a medic for my platoon. I was assigned to work, you know, two squads while the yeah. uh, primary medic was like responsible for all the squads. Really, yeah. plugging a hole where we needed yeah. some help. Yeah, and so. Um, even you know, even during the invasion of Iraq, I was a medic. I didn't have yeah. like a duty position, so I was kind of running back and forth, helping helping guys out. And uh, anyway, so um, I was just the medic on the yeah. on the vehicle, and so I was. Uh, They're like, "Hey, you drive this suburban," and then um, another uh, team leader, Sergeant Rocha, um, was to drive the other suburban, and then there'd be a. a, a a GMV up front and a GMV behind us. And so we'd just take these vehicles out. So we drove them out, dropped the families off, and we didn't really plan properly because we didn't have the right seating for the return trip. And so I uh, I just hopped on top of the Humvee and sat next to where the where the gunner's at. And so I was holding on to the turret with uh, with my left hand because I had my, my rifle on my right. And so I was like reaching back like this and just kind of like watching the traffic as we were passing it. And then you know boom there there it goes and so um the best way to describe that feeling is uh um uh, you know in saving private ryan when uh when uh, he's like at the bridge towards the end of the movie and yeah. everything gets like super slow yep and that's exactly what happened and i was just like um it was just very foggy and i was like you know my ears were numb nothing i couldn't hear what's going on and uh it took a few times for me to process that one of my uh, my ranger buddies was asking me he's like hey are you okay are you all right are you all right and i'm uh i didn't know he was also severely wounded um we were i think our vehicle had 11 people in it and nine people got some injured uh to a different degree and then yeah. two people died um one died immediately and one died two days later so so the ID black was ID or uh, it was ID yeah ID um, everything you coming out of that you got medevaced to the cash there and in, in bio so um, it was about 40 45 minutes before I, I was personally seen by a by a medical provider um, and I had uh, um, well, so about two months ago, our senior yeah. medic, uh, Colonel Colonel Knight, brought. He's like, "Hey, I have your your medical casualty card from when you got injured." And and you know, I I was a medic at the time, so I kind of knew what he was talking about. And I was like, "Oh, really? Interesting." Like I didn't. You hadn't seen it before. I hadn't seen it before. And um, on it, there's like that the AVPU, which is uh, you know. Um, it's like a check that medics would do, at least back then, to check if you're alert to ver um, alert or if you're alert to verbal or pain or if you're unresponsive. And so, um, and then it also checks like my uh, what my vitals are, and all my vitals were at zero, and so no heart rate, nothing like that. And then I was, um, but I was responsive. And then 15 minutes later, I was unresponsive. And so that was kind of, I guess, the the part where I was out for a few minutes. <laughs> 
that's insane. So when you got back, what do you know? Cause I don't know if you remember the process to where you, when you got first got treated there. Do you what's the first thing you remember post? You know, what's the first thing you remember after everything happened? Um, well, I mean, it was. I was in I was in medically induced coma for eleven days, and okay. so like the time from from the blast until the time I got recovered, um, I have like a like snippets of memory of what was going on. Like I can remember getting up, unbuckling my chin strap, and uh, you know feeling like that slow motion yeah. going on, like getting a little bit more control of that. Um, I didn't. I, I was spitting blood. I had a hole in my mouth. The shrapnel had gone through and taken out one of my teeth, and I didn't realize that. Also, a piece of shrapnel went through my neck, and it um, it uh, went through my carotid artery into my trachea and my esophagus. And um, you know, I was able to get some pictures of it um, a few years later, and like I could see that. I think it was cauterized because it was so oh, yeah. so close that I didn't bleed out. And, um, you know, when I unstrapped my, my, uh, my helmet, it's my head was hurting. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going on. You know, I, didn't <laughs> sure realize was, yeah. I had a hole the, the size of, a uh, you know, I don't know, um, a decent sized rock inside my head. And, um, so, I mean, the hole was about that inside my head and the, uh, mushroom of, of the Kevlar, my helmet was ballooned out. And so it was like putting pressure on my head oh yeah and so i that's why you know i unsnapped unsnapped my helmet and i was like oh man i, I felt relief after that yeah. because it just felt like i was just compact and um i got up and was doing a few things and then the uh, i got into the qrf vehicle and that's well, what no, I, you got up like post blast and mm -hmm. were doing a few things mm -hmm. <laughs> of course you were <laughs> right well, hole I, in I, your I, face hole in your neck and you're up at doing things because i'm amazed by it people of this community every, every day so you're doing things when did somebody like when, like hey can't you might need to we might need to treat you yeah I, I don't know how um i don't know exactly what the process was i think i was very um you know you fall back to like your yeah training your training and so um because i was a medic i i don't know if i was doing like i know i wasn't doing medical treatment per se but i might have been like checking to see if the yeah. if the guys that were still alert are doing okay like hey are is there something i can do for you are you yeah. all right or even at the same time they're probably asking me the same thing right like you don't I'm look sure. you don't look I'm good sure. bro I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well i don't have a mirror so i guess we'll go. <laughs> just keep going thank god he's yeah. a mirror. oh that that's crazy so you got evac did, did you go unconscious at some point while you're out at the blast site so yeah right when i got into the right into a, the recovery vehicle um, the gunner, um, asked me, um, he was, he was pretty severely injured as well. And he said, Hey, are you okay? And I said, I don't, I don't think I'm okay anymore. You know? <laughs> and I think that's when I passed out. Oh. And, um, you know, I had a lot of surgeries happen right there yeah. in Baghdad. Um, and this is, you know, June of 2003. So everything was very, um, rudimentary. Yeah. And I mean, the, the doctors weren't, they knew what they were doing cause I'm still here. So, um, that was that was pretty amazing and yeah i'm amazed at what our the medical capability has i mean even in 2003 it was pretty good in that to compare to, oh, wow. to what it is Definitely. now so you get 11 days in the coma was that in baghdad so i spent two days two days in baghdad um surgery 
um, and then enough recovery where they felt comfortable to move us, and that's when when Sergeant uh, Conway died. We both were about the same rating as to what our health levels were. Yeah. Uh, they actually had thought I was. Um, they thought that I was worse off than I was, and they thought Tim was better off than he was, and that's that's a sad, sad thing. Um, not that I would, you know. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it was just the, the luck of the draw almost, and um, I think somewhere along the time when when they were moving our bodies to Exville or to get on the medevac to Germany, I think is when when his he just stopped working. And and I didn't. So. Yeah, it's uh, things happen for a reason. Yeah, right? they do. They really do. So back to Germany. For well, how long were you in Germany? I was in Germany for a week, and uh, I was you know this kind of goes back to what we were talking about. You know, spending twenty two years roughly um, in or about with the Ranger Regiment, the way that they take care of their people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean my my mom and my. My wife were um, in Germany with me for yeah. the whole time almost. Yeah, I was going to ask. I didn't know if you were married at the time. Yeah, we'd yeah. gotten married about six weeks before I got injured. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Welcome to the Army life. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, answering phone calls. Is uh, Your husband's about to die. Do you want to retire him? And she's like, ah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, next time you have an FRG problem, relate it to this story and realize it's nothing. Um, so you, your family got to come to Germany. Yeah. Uh, you were there and then eventually moved back stateside and went through the rehab and eventually you got medically discharged from, from the Army, right? Can you talk uh, well, about so I got medically retired the day after my the actual injury. And oh, I, don't, really? I don't know. I mean, maybe I could do some research on what the medical, like what the process was back yeah. then. But I think from what I understand, it was um, if if I didn't get medically retired before I died, then... Uh, like it would affect my wife's like oh yeah that's that's interesting we were learning a lot about yeah. that process back then as a unit as a as a as a DOD in general and there yeah. were a lot of casualties coming around at yeah. those times with the IED so they they pretty much thought you were imminent right so yeah, yeah that's it was I was in like a 72 hour imminent yeah. it was like called imminent death processing and that was where like the window to to retire me or not it was very like it was just fixed. It was That's like you crazy. can't I don't know, you couldn't go around it. So when you came back stateside, where did you end up going? So I went to Walter Reed and um I was there for um from I think July, early July till the last day of July, I think is when I left Walter Reed and went down to James Haley down in Tampa Bay for the TBI clinic down there. Yeah. So when you got to Walter Reed, I mean, you obviously you made it back to Germany. You you're making it longer than anybody's anticipating yeah. you to make it, right? And what were the doctors like? Do you remember much of the Walter Reed experience where they like they could couldn't believe where you are and the progress you were making that early on or what was the feeling still? Um I would say I don't I don't remember what how the doctors felt. Um I was lucky to have one of my um he he was my platoon sergeant for like three years and I've been in the army for like three and a half. Yeah. And so he was like really close to me and he was the HRC uh, LNO for oh, okay. the range regiment. He worked in Alexandria before they moved to yep. Fort Knox. And so I had him there and he would come and visit a lot. And that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. And then, um, 
also one of my PLs um, in the three short period of time had, had gotten out of the army just like recently and he lived in Washington DC. So I had like close relationships yeah. and then another interesting um, story, you know, General Lemoyne um, was one of my really close friends from high school, his dad's battalion or brigade commander when he was a battalion commander. Oh yeah. And so I had like these really close connections with people in, in that area that helped, like they made everything seem like normal to yeah. me, I guess. Yeah. A little support group there. Yeah, I yeah. did. And Ranger buddies and, yeah. and, and, and beyond that really, that's, that's uh value of community. I think can, is understated sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then having somebody there, Walter Reed to Tampa, can you try to talk that whole, because you ended up going back to New Mexico for a bit. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, there's a few things that like I want to bring up about yeah, that were please. super, super important that I, you know, I only learn, know more about them as I get older or yeah. just like gain more experience and knowledge. I mean, it's like, wow, you're lucky that it worked out well for you because you could have easily lost that. And, and that's relationships. Um, relationship building is is critical in everything and i i learned that through um what happened almost um immediately after i had come back to columbus georgia and was without a job i was out of the army i had no um sense of uh i I would say purpose but almost like i didn't even know what that was i was it was so immediate like one day i'm in the army boom the next day i'm not and I'd slept throughout like that whole transition period, so I didn't even know. You didn't like, get it. You didn't get a transition. No, I had yeah. nothing, and then so I was. Everything was weird. Yeah, I just I was just like, well, I mean, I'm in. I guess I don't have to wake up and shave, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just sleeping. Um, but what really happened though is, um, I'll, I'll take it back a second. So when I left Walter Reed and went down to James A. Haley, they were very adamant that I was supposed to be there for a year to recover, but they didn't know either. I mean, like you yeah. said, it was, it was kind of new to TBIs aren't new, but how, how I was being treated didn't help, but I'm yeah. very like, yeah, the, the, our education of TBIs is, was very new at that. Yeah. Point, yeah. And so I was, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't let them take control. Right. And so that was probably, I don't know. I mean, in, in a long term, I guess it worked out well for me, but in, if I would have stayed longer, I don't know what it would have been like. But I, I definitely was did not like it. I did not like being controlled that way. Yeah. And so um, I just told them I don't want to be here, and they just had to end up letting me go. And so went back to uh, Columbus, Georgia, and um, the last thing the doctor told me before I left is, like, hey, 60 days, you can't do anything. Um, and so there's, like, a little bit more to the story. Is So when I was getting my surgery in um, in Baghdad, they had removed about hand size amount of my skull. And so I didn't have a skull there. It was just like, you know, flesh and brain. Um, and I didn't have a, 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 as they call it a craniotomy, but they didn't put like the replacement skull in until like 10 or 11 months later. Oh, wow. And so I was, you know, it's like, I had to be super careful about everything I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's an understatement. I think. Yeah. So I went from like, you know, I mean, imagine the life of a ranger private, you know, what was the thing we did? Oh yeah. We worked and partied hard yeah. and it was, everything was that like to the extreme. That's kind of what we did. And all of a sudden, like all of that was gone. Yeah. You went from a hundred miles an hour to zero yeah. miles an hour in an instant for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, 
And so when I was talking about building relationships is I had, I had a good relationship with, um, with the Ranger Regiment still, and they looked out for me. And um, I was able to get a job, like I said, 60 days after I came back, I, was, I went to my first job. Was and, that here in Columbus? Yeah. Yeah. And so I worked at uh, the Wexford Group International, which is, you yep. know, very familiar. Now, now they work with CACI, but, uh, or CACI, I guess, however you want to read it, and worked there. I mean, I, just, I don't even know if I had a job, like, but the people that worked there, like, brought me in and yeah. helped me, like, kind of, like, break through this, like, the transition that happened was so immediate. Yeah. And that was really, really helpful. Um, and I worked there for, for about nine months. Um, because me and my wife had been married right before I got injured, we wanted to have a better wedding. Yeah. And so instead of the courthouse one that we did the year before, okay. we had like and a so many, uh, so many of us are friends. Yeah, a real, a real deal wedding. And uh, I think she had earned it at that point. Right? Oh man, yeah. yeah. Well, she, I, I should give her another one. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's probably earned a few more of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, and it's um, my dad had. Uh, been given like the you know terminal yeah. note from the doctors right around that time and so this is 2004 and he's like hey uh or he didn't really tell me but you know he's like i'm kind of on my last leg so we decided me and carried we to move back to new mexico and um i didn't owe anything i was getting you know uh, disability 100 percent disability from the va um, and, you know, so we moved back to New Mexico, we bought a house in Albuquerque and, um, just didn't have anything to do. So we just bullshit. That's, uh, so you got back to Albuquerque and, you know, the crazy part about all this is you go from the hole in your neck, the hole in your face, <laughs> hole in your head, literally. And now you're back in the Ranger Regiment and serves in every duty position through first sergeant. Okay. Uh, like. How did how did that come about coming back? I mean, 100% disability to back to where you are now is is I mean that's a phenomenal, amazing feat. What's the how that happened? Well, one thing, and I think any ranger that listens to this will agree. But like one, you, it's just when you say you can't do something to a ranger, it only Motivates. like fuels the fire. Right. And it and it's like, well, you say that, but if I show you how I can do it, um, and then I do it then you lost you lost your you lost your vote in yeah. that in that thing and um and i think that's just like how i've kind of lived everything you just like you can't tell me no and it's it's been challenging and as we'll probably talk a little bit more about um some some more challenging things that have happened in my life um but i remember i did it i did an interview um with the uh, with the with the veterans affairs in albuquerque and I think I don't know what they were what what they were doing, but they were tied in with one of the local colleges, and it might have been like a, a thing for a degree that somebody was doing. But it was a it was an interview, and you know they had like a a, a professional VA better uh, I don't know like advocate there. Oh uh, yeah. And she was asking questions, and she 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 was the one who said like, no, that's impossible. You're 100 percent disabled. You can't go back to the army. And I'm like. I don't understand it. Like it didn't process in my brain. Like how do you, what makes something 100% impossible? Right. And I'm like, even to me now, I still can't picture what that means. Like right. the only thing that makes things impossible is you, 
someone not wanting to try to right. do it and like yeah. how much can you effort can you put forth and that it helped me out because i would say probably if i tried to do that again it wouldn't i wouldn't be i wouldn't be successful i wouldn't i wouldn't have been accepted back into the army yeah so i mean it's a reference to use a lot at work is it's a three-foot wall i mean mm-hmm. you can either have three-foot walls stop you and change you or you can go over them or break through them and yeah you're a prime example of 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 breaking through those walls and coming back into the organization um what did your wife think about you coming back after all she had been through uh i think one of the one of the biggest strengths that my wife has is she is very she is very good at understanding me more than i am (laughs) they have a tendency to do because i'm like you know, I mean, we were in the 2003, 2004 was really like, I mean, the, the war was really stepping up in Afghanistan, in Iraq. I mean, I'd lost a couple more Ranger buddies. Um, one had gotten out of the army and then went over as a contractor and he died in, you know, he got shot while he was driving a vehicle. And then another guy, you know, he blew up, he didn't blow himself up, sorry. He was in the ready room and he had one of his... Uh, incendiary devices go off off. and ended up killing him and then the normal battle fatigue or or excuse me uh, people dying in battle like it was just it was just there and apparent and i'm like you know i'm i'm fully capable i'd kind of gotten back into physical fitness you know i'd um my friend travis that was in ranger regiment at the time he had gotten out of the army and we were hanging out a lot in albuquerque and we were doing um we did like the Baton Death March together down to White Sands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like I was, I was ready to come back into the army, um, and so I went to a recruiter and um, and they're like, "Well, you have to get cleared by a neurologist because of your injuries." And so I had set it up and went. We had driven down to Fort uh, Bliss, Texas, and um, went to see the neurologist, and it was one of the one of the brain surgeons that had actually done surgery in Baghdad on me. <laughs> and so he was like, he was surprised cause I was, well, I mean, I guess as normal as one can be, but, um, at that time and, you know, like my tests were, you know, kind of almost yeah. cartoony. Yeah. And I did a cat scan or a pet scan on my brain and, you know, there's a little bit of dead space up there, but you know, it was, I can vouch for that. <laughs> it was still pretty good. Still pretty good to keep going. And so they, you know, I, he wrote, wrote me off and um, I had to pretty much give up my disability pay yeah. and come back into the army as an E4 Yeah, and came to Fort Benning. They couldn't assign me to special operations. They could only assign me to a location. And so showed up to Fort Benning and went and talked to the, uh, to the, uh, I think, well, it's now RSTC, so their selection and training company, but then it was the rock or yeah, the rock, I think. Yeah. Uh, where they have the rasp or at that point it was rip Rips. and rope and we talked to their their commandant and he ended up being my first sergeant when I got injured now he's the first sergeant of here and so like this you know it's almost like all the stars aligned and um, the regimental sergeant majors like yeah he can come back to the range regiment but he has to pass rip yeah you know and I'll be honest I, it, it kind of hurt me it hurt my feelings mm-hmm. um, I had to do the same but you just think about it, yeah. and you're like, at the time, it it's horrible because you're like, how am I not being treated with some yeah. sort of like, yeah. you know, 
white glove. Right. You're just not. You're just like everyone else. Yeah. And that's like the most real thing that it can be. And I, f- I, f- I feel like I have a little bit of resentment towards that uh, decision. But the more separate I get from that time, the more I'm like, I'm almost more thankful that yeah, it absolutely. happened because I realized the standards are for everyone and they're not special for individuals. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I've known you for a while. I'm learning so much about you. You came back, like, the fact that you run into your surgeon, you run into your, you know, you're yeah. running into everybody through this phase that got you, you were meant to come back. I mean, that's just, things happen for a reason. The timing couldn't have been better. I mean, I got out of the army as well in 2004 and got recalled back in, you know, and was fortunate enough to find myself back in the regiment because the army needed people at that point, yeah. right? They were bringing everybody and didn't matter if you had a, you know, no a hole in your head or not, <laughs> they were bringing you back. And I remember from my wife's uh, we weren't married at the time, but she just knew how miserable I was outside of the army, watching everybody go over and yeah. watching everything that happened. And I knew, like, I can still contribute. And I walked away before I was ready, before I was ready to mm-hmm. walk away. So, um, yeah, our, our wives are a big, big part of this yeah. whole, whole process. And we can't thank them enough. That's a lot. That's a lot of, I mean, that story alone is a, we could talk for that for hours and how you got to there. And yeah. I super appreciate you sharing that. I know it's not easy going back down some of those roads. Let's move on a little bit. I th- I mean, we've kind of done it already. I'll ask you, though, anyway, because I ask everybody, what's your definition of vulnerability? <laughs> well, when you brought it up, uh, when you brought it up earlier, I was like, like driving up here to <laughs> yeah. do this. Uh, but it, I think there's more to that. There's, yeah. of course, more, more to it. Um, you know, being being uh in the public about stuff yeah um you know i i was going through some of these questions in my head like what does it mean to be vulnerable and i think one of the things that came most it was the most apparent to me is is uh is the feeling of failure not really failure itself yeah because like the feeling of failure is it's because you feel like you let somebody down or you let um let a team down or you let your wife down yeah you didn't fall through with what you were you know what you set yourself out to do um so i think that would be a a a form of vulnerability that i could um that i would i would say is more challenging for me to get past Um, but the farther i get from my injury i'm very very reluctant to open up about um let me let me let me take this back. I'm not. I, I have no issue talking about my injury and all that stuff. But I feel like I'm I'm reluctant to like move past it. And yeah. and so vulnerability is like just getting out of my comfort zone. Yeah, I think so. Vulnerability, I think, has a lot of definitions. I get a different one from everybody yeah. that comes in here. And you're right. Like moving on, right, from some of that stuff because yeah. it's hard, right? <laughs> everything has gone on in the last month in Afghanistan and trying to process and move on yeah. from that is, I mean, that's, you got to be vulnerable with yourself to do it. So I just like everybody, everybody's got a different perspective yeah. and, and I don't think any, any of it's wrong, you know? And it's, so you, let's talk about your family a little bit. Yeah. Right. You've had to, you've had to go through some trials and tribulations there, right. And your wife and God bless her and all the deployments you've gone through and you have two kids that are in special needs that, you know, are, um, there's a lot of work that has to go into maintaining your family. If you could just speak on it a little bit. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I don't even know where we would start. So my, my son's 13. Um, and he's, 
uh, he's got, well, both my son and my daughter um, have spinal muscular atrophy, which is a uh, neurodegenerative uh, genetic disease. And it's uh, one out of 40 people carry the, the gene. Um, and so both my wife and me were carrying the gene. So it's very, it's like one in 6,000 kids are born with this disease. And so it's like a rare common disease type of thing. Right. Um, and they've, so when Caleb was probably, uh, a year, a year, a year to a year and a half years of age, you know, my wife started seeing things that were not, that didn't fit like he wasn't growing right or he yeah. wasn't eating. And we found out it wasn't SMA really specifically at the point, but that's when we found out that SMA was there, but he had, you know, he had, to, um, like digestion issues. He wasn't able to, he had to like get, um, and uh, what do they call it? the nose? We call it a nose hose, but um, neopharyngeal. Oh, yeah. Um, nasopharyngeal, there it is. Um, and it, so it would go up his nose into his stomach, and that's how we would feed him for, oh, for yeah. a while. And then through all that, we started taking him in to get tests to find out what else was going on. And it was like, hey, it all came back when he was about two years old. He had spinal muscular atrophy, and he was type 2. And so he, he's been... Um, unable to walk, and so he's in a he's in a wheelchair. He's a power wheelchair, and um, same same level of intelligence, smart wise, um, as any other thirteen year old boy. Um, but he definitely like has grown up with this, and so that has been very challenging. Um, and then you know to bring in my into the conversation, my wife, and uh, and I think it was two thousand eleven or. Uh, 12 we we started a uh, it's called the sma 5k and it was really my wife and and her uh close friend and family that put this thing together but every year we would do a 5k run and we were able to raise a lot of, about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars over oh, wow. four years um and we donated that to cure sma and uh now when my daughter was or excuse me when my wife was pregnant with my daughter we were able to find out um halfway through that that harper was going to have sma as well and so when harper uh was born we were we went down to orlando um carrie had applied for a um uh a project or it's not a project it's a, a trial for oh, yeah. through biogen which is the drug company um to get this treatment that for, you know, for harper for harper okay and so harper got into this treatment at like three weeks old and so she's now, she'll be six in two weeks, and she's like almost acts like a normal child. She can run around, run, play, hop, and do all those other things. Yeah. And just every four months, my wife takes her down to Orlando to get her medical treatment. And then um, at the same time we were getting Harper into it, we were trying to get Caleb into it, but his, he had scoliosis to a point where they wouldn't accept him because the degree is in his back was, was too much. And so... We, um, we had to get a back surgery. So he had his first back surgery and, um, his, uh, orthopedic surgeon set it up where the rods were on his ribs and his pelvis. And so it kind of gave his back like kind of free reign for, for his uh, procedure. And that would be a, the procedure is a lumbar puncture into like the lower spine and it pulls out a little bit of spinal fluid and then puts in the drug to, to do whatever it does um so science and then 
Let's not get into science, yeah. me and you. Let's no. not get too far into that. Uh, anyway, so he, he was declined from the trial. And so we got him a back surgery. He healed up enough from that. Then we started him on his drug because um, I think I'm missing steps here, which I am. I had to get cleared through the FP, FDA. Oh, wow. And, like, there was all kinds of stuff that happened. Finally, it did get cleared through the FDA, and then we were able to do that process. But it, I think we had to do the back surgery to get his scoliosis right Oh yeah. before. And I think I might have the timing off on it, but um, I do have a TBI, so. Yeah, I, I, you're forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> so um, he's, he's in a wheelchair, yeah. right? How many surgeries has he had? So he's had two back surgeries, um, and the the surgeries are are intense. Like I don't I don't know. I mean, a back surgery is a back surgery. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't imagine, but I just know the tending to him recovery wise. I mean, it's not a it's it's super challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's got to be hard as a dad. Yeah. Having to you know seeing your son in pain. And, yeah. And can't do things, and I can't even imagine. You know, and then during all this, these 13 years that you've been deploying. Yeah. And your wife's been holding down the fort. Yeah, she's, time. she's she's been crushing it. I mean, just I would share a little bit about your wife. and. Yeah, you know. so um, I'll take it to the beginning because it, it matters and it counts. But we met in um, August of 2001. And so we'd, we'd known each other very briefly um and then 9-11 happens and uh and then it was just like it just kick-started like everything um we were dating for about another year and a half before we ended up getting married and so when i came back from our third deployment we uh we decided to 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 tie the knot and then i kind of already talked about what happened yeah. six weeks later so it was yeah. really like shock to her but you know i have uh i've kind of like opened up about how how I want I think one of the things I said to her when we first got married is I'm never going to stop dipping I'm never going to stop drinking I'm never going to stop being a ranger You're right. <laughs> that was like that was like our prenup <laughs> uh, and so uh, I I have slightly stopped dipping yeah yeah yeah. it ebbs and flows in yeah. judgment yeah. yeah slightly stopped drinking uh, we'll see when it comes to about 5 o'clock tonight um, <laughs> uh, but I haven't stopped being a ranger and, and now I think um, I'm starting to feel the, the aches and pains yeah. of doing it for all these years. And uh, anyways, we're talking about Carrie. So anyways, we get married and we were together and, um, and then she's just like, she's just been holding on the whole time. And yeah. I just, I want to go to war. I want to go to war. I was like, I really want to go to war. I just want to go be with like all yeah. my, be with my friends, know, be with all my friends. Yeah. And she's held it down back here and mm -hmm. raised the two kids that have the, you know, the medical issues. And yeah. it's, uh, I mean, and you, I mean, dealing with you on a daily basis, I know what that can be like. I'm like the third kid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. So um, let's talk a little bit about mental health. And you kind of talked, mm -hmm. you kind of caveated into it there. It's, uh, it's a challenge for all of us, I think, that have been through what we've done the last 20 years and yeah. some of the stigma around it. And uh, I think it's super important. We've both kind of been open with each other about our yeah. journey into it over the past couple of years. Uh, what What are your thoughts on it? Just, um, well, one, I, I I didn't even think of it the way that you had brought it up when I was talking about my dad. Like I didn't even think of it. Yeah. But he probably would have done a lot better if he yeah. would have had a little bit of help. 
um, because he was, I mean, I think, you know, he had, I think even just generation, generationally, you know, the Vietnam War and those that fought in it did not have the same reception that oh, that no. the true the American soldiers yeah. or Marines, Navy, whatever, all the all that we have now, like they just didn't have it. it yeah. And so I mean there's there's that. And then, you know, uh, not to get into politics of war or anything, but there's just things that probably happened in Vietnam that went went yeah. against people's view on things and um it really did affect them and I would say that um, the force has come has gone has, has come a long way since then. I know we have like the uh, what is it, POTIF? Yeah, Pres- uh, preservation of force and families. Yeah, That's preservation of the force and families, and we do. And in, in special operations, it's it's treated with uh, you know a lot of respect, dignity, and it, and it's very important. And they've set these things up like the um, physical, or excuse me. Uh, Psycholo- psychologists yeah yeah putting the psychologists in the social units. workers yeah. people to help work trying to make problem. it more accessible right yeah and it's hard because you know you're like an alpha male type of personality and you're like i don't need help i don't need help yeah. and then like when you think you finally need help it's like too late right and so there's a there's a level of vulnerability that you Absolutely. have to be open to Absolutely. you have to find it more you have to find time and make it important to go talk to somebody about what's really going on because there's a lot of things and every time i would go talk to a counselor i was like like i'd, I'd have to i'd war gaming like what am i gonna say <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> instead of just being open we always yeah. have to have a plan going in yeah like what am i going to talk about today yeah. like how much am i going to open up to this Absolutely. person about what's going on in my head and yeah. it's like you finally get to the point where you, you crack the door, or you yeah. open up enough, and you're like, oh, my God, that felt so great. Absolutely. I'm so glad I let that go. Yes. Absolutely. And if you don't, you leave it, and you're frustrated, and you're yeah. upset, and you don't get, you know, really you don't get closure on some of those yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. You just got to go. You got to go do it. And if, you, if you're out there and you're struggling, just got to initiate movement. That's the hardest yeah. thing. Go in there the initiate first time and, and try to be vulnerable and, and Build, it's hard you gotta trying to build trust and you don't yeah. know what to say and but it's super important i think we've both seen the value in it that because we've yeah. done it and it's helped us out in all facets of my life i know it has right and it's still uh, a work in progress it is and i, I don't know I, I think there's a big uh there, i think it was a big hurdle in the beginning to get people to know that it's actually good for yeah, you um, to to do that and there's still there's still a way to I mean, I think it's going to be a navigation, uh, navigational thing where you have to work through the details. And um, if you go once, you think you're good, but you're not. Yeah. If you don't, you go a lot of times. You may think you're good and you're not. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> you know, it's just you just got to go through it. And, yeah. And yeah. deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you've done that your whole career, your whole life, really, right? With your injuries and your the stuff that happens to your kids, you just. You just got to deal with it, right? You just got to deal with it, yeah. got to deal with it. And I will say, you've I, since I've known you, you've always been very transparent about if you didn't know something, and you always asked for help when you were a first sergeant and I was running the ops job and you didn't know what's going on, you, you were like, I don't know what's happening right now. And I think that's a quality that's just super good with you, that you're just, you are, and it helps people relax and communicate with you and I've always enjoyed just working around you because if you're just honest right you you don't try to hide whether you don't get it or if you do get it and I, I appreciate the heck out of that from you so uh, this is gonna be a hard question 
for you to answer, in my opinion, because you've been through a lot of hard days in uniform and yeah. out, of, out of uniform and, you know, leaving service and coming back to service. If you can, if you could pinpoint that, what was that hardest day or that most challenging day that you had in, in the uniform up to this point? Well, I think that, I think when it comes to physical, there's. I don't think there was a hard day physically in, yeah. in uniform, and I think that that goes. It's like saying, you know, for like a track star, you know, what's your hardest run? You're like, yeah. I don't know. Like they're all hard. Yeah. I make sure of it. You know? That's right. Yeah. And so it's it's a uh, it's more like it's mentally, and I think I think where the most challenging day, and I say in uniform because I had to actually say no to a request for me to go to a. Um, try out for a special mission unit and I couldn't do it and I knew why and it was because of my son's um, was in this process of being diagnosed and um, I had to just like just get this like this huge like it looked you know you uh, it's like a portal to another world was opening up for me and I had to like shut it down and say I can't do it and so I was like wow I really you know, after especially all the stuff I've kind of yeah. been able to work through, I'm like, well, I've gotten through like a part where I can't do this, and I've gotten through a part where I I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I'm like, I can do it, and I'll do it, and I did it or whatever. But then I'm at this point, and I just couldn't do it. Like I just it wasn't a I wasn't able to do it. Uh, and I think the hard part wasn't specifically that I had to say no to it. It was just like accepting finally that there was something I couldn't do. Yeah, and it really bothered me. Absolutely. And it had nothing to do with with anything, but I think it was like, I think I had like this internal drive or this internal burn to keep, you know, showing up to work and, yeah. you know, showing, I don't want to say showing my value because I didn't really think of it that way, but showing my, you know, like I care. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then I felt like someone saw that and they invited me to go do this thing and I couldn't do it. And, yeah. uh, and it just has the timing of it and everything. And I think as I, I think as I look back at it, I would say, yeah, I could have actually probably done it. Yeah. I could have, I could have, and I just like I had this. It was a three foot wall that I, I felt that I wasn't ready for, but, um, but I probably would would have been fine. And I think that it would have worked out, no matter what. And it was just like you know, like the uncertainty of it. And I think that's really probably where a lot of things started for me, where I started questioning. Oh yeah questioning decisions I was making. Yeah. That first time you didn't do, mm-hmm. you didn't go beyond the expectations yeah. you know, of what people had it for you. So I think it's interesting. Same with that question. Everybody has a different answer. It's usually not the, the combat related stuff. Yeah. It's something about missing their kids or, or not following through on something, you, you know, like a hindsight type thing. So, uh, everybody, the other thing, the other hard days, those are just kind of like givens. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's the things that you wish you'd have done different that you could have affected that really seem to, you know, hang with you, you mm-hmm. know, as you go. Um, I, I, I'm kind of closing out here. You are like a, um, I don't want to get emotional, but anytime I've ever had a bad day, you know, in the last years that I've known you and known kind of your story, I've kind of like, you, there's no excuse for it, right? Because you always you always show up. You're always in a great mood, right? You you bring a smile to every meeting. You bring a joke to every meeting when it gets bad. You've been given some tough assignments overseas that nobody wanted, and you do it graciously, right? And we've had some, and 
And with everything that's going on with your family, your kids, everything that happened to you, all you've done is serve, man. You've just served. You've served your nation uh, way more than, you know, anybody has, in my opinion, uh, more than you had to, and you just did it because you loved it. Um, I super appreciate you coming on here. I'm proud to call you a friend, a fellow New Mexican. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you got any closing words for well, um, thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, I do, um, I do feel that, um, like I owe it to people in a way that doesn't seem fair. Um, that, I don't know, you, you kind of only give it one shot in one shot in life. And Brett I mean, Johnson. If, you, if you just take it, yeah, you gotta take, you gotta take it. That's right. And, uh, sometimes it's, it's, um, overcoming those really really hard things yeah. and sometimes it's not that hard it's just doing it because it's something you like or enjoy and you love and you know i've been listening to some of your other uh, episodes and just listening about transitioning and doing all this other stuff and you know i'm in this process where i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm i'm just going yeah i'm just going and um i just know that uh i want to I want to stay. I want to keep keep focused on, like, I don't know, not being lost. Yeah. Not being so confused about what's going to happen and yeah. having this having this feeling of um, like not having a purpose. You know, I, yeah. I talk about doing something because you, I want to do it, but I, I probably I probably do a lot of things. I'm not sure why I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's the merit. That's the Canaan I know right there. So, um, thanks again for coming on. Uh, from that guy that you know, that young ranger medic, fill in medic that got blown up in 2003 to you just pinned the sergeant major star on your chest a couple months back. An amazing feat, right? That you'll never really recognize personally for yourself, but I recognize it, appreciate it. It's an amazing feat. And for all out, all you guys out there listening or watching, please sure be sure to like, share, subscribe, leave your comments down below. And uh, Kanan, 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 we always mess his name up. It's Kanan. Uh, appreciate you coming on. It's yeah, been fun. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's been it's been good. It makes me feel um, makes me feel a little bit better. I you know don't really openly talk about a lot of stuff, and so I appreciate you having me on and giving me an opportunity to to talk about myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for coming.